And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, May 3rd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we take a look at some risers and fallers from the first month of the season among hitters. We had an outstanding matchup of rookie pitchers take place in Oakland on Wednesday night. We have a new closer in Texas. We got a couple mailbag questions we're going to try to get to as well. Eno, let's start with Mason Miller versus Bryce Miller. That was actually Bryce Miller's Big league debut. We didn't actually we didn't talk about him on Project Prospect on Tuesday. I think we talked about him last week on the 3 0 show as someone who might come up as a result of the season ending injury for Robbie Ray. And by every account, Bryce Miller looked like he was ready to contribute to the Mariners' rotation. Yes. And I think, you know, he was so impressive. And the stuff numbers are so impressive. I mean, immediately up into past Mason Miller territory. Of course, there is usually a, a debut bump. Uh, we see it in Velo. We see it in Stuff Plus. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of guys, even Shane McClanahan, debut at, you know, 125, 130 uh, Stuff Plus and then settle in at, you know, high one teens or something. Um, usually, though, once a guy debuts at a 132 Stuff Plus, you can say he has great stuff. And uh, and you can even say with Mason Miller, you saw he debuted at 130 plus and now he's uh, settling more into the low 120s. Um, so you saw that kind of uh, debut adrenaline bump with Mason Miller and then a little step back from it, but still excellent results, excellent strikeout rate, excellent stuff. Some questioned as to how far into games he will go and how many wins he will get because the Oakland A's still don't have a win from their starter um, and are extending that major league record. Um, Bryce Miller doesn't have that problem. He has a great uh, a great bullpen behind him. I think he has as much runway as he can pitch his way into. Um, and the big question just becomes, why weren't his minor league numbers better if he had all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> it's a and fair question. I don't have an easy answer for you. I would say that uh, four games, the big outlier, because th he did have great results in A-ball and double-A in 2022. Those are pretty good results in terms of strikeout rate. He had a 30% strikeout rate across two levels uh, and uh, low threes ERA. So like those were good results. This year, in four starts, he gave up two and, two, uh, two and a third homers per nine. And that probably is the noisiest stat in small samples that exists. It's the kind of thing where he gave up a couple homers, you know, more than you'd expect, and it skewed his whole line. So you look at the projection systems, and they all say around a four ERA because he's going to give up a few too many home runs. But I would say Stuff Plus says he's not going to do that. So I'm going to take... Uh, 
I'm going to take a, a like kind of high threes ERA with more than a strikeout per inning, uh, less than a home run per game uh, kind of approach to what he can do going forward. So with the impressive debut in this game, I believe was a no hitter for both pitchers going into the seventh <laughs> inning. Miller on Miller violence. I mean, it was incredible. And Mason Miller left with a no hitter. He hit 100 pitches. They took him out of the game. Richard Lovelady retired the first batter he faced before serving up a home run to A.J. Pollock. And I I tweeted at the time when I saw Lovelady get the first out of the inning. Right at that first out, I just tweeted, can this terrible A's bullpen protect this lead? And I think within seconds of me hitting send, Pollock made contact on the home run. It was like, wow. <laughs> you like, did it. You I did caused it. that one. I did it. So if you're wondering, so two nights ago on Monday night, the Yankees and Guardians were playing an extremely fast game, and Cespedes Barbecue was all over that. They were really excited about it, and a bunch of people I saw on Twitter were tuning into that game, trying to see if the game would end. It was under two hours. It was what it was tracking wow. for. Um, Domingo Herman was close to a complete game. They made a pitching change. That made it really close. The Guardians started to rally, and then, of course, it was out the window. So they ruined that, but I ruined the A's getting a win for their starting pitcher, and for that... I'm very sorry, but you all know that I have Mason Miller on teams. I didn't do it to jinx Mason Miller. I didn't do it to jinx the A's. I didn't do it to spite John Fisher, even though I would have loved to. It was actually just an open question because we talked about how awful their bullpen was. It's like, could they actually come through and have this sort of magical moment as a horrendous team? It turns out, no. And the amazing thing was they didn't have a better awful reliever to turn to. Like That was their that was their best choice in that moment, Richard Lovelady. That, that was just a really frustrating situation to watch unfold. I think that's the thing that's going to work the most against Mason Miller. That bullpen's probably not going to get a lot better over the course of the season. They could have a few of their spillover starters end up there and not be you know, a six-plus ERA unit all season long. But even if Mason Miller is going to throw 85 to 100 pitchers, pitches every fifth day when he starts and actually get enough innings to be eligible for wins... It's the run support and bullpen problems that really don't seem like they're going to go away. That's your limiting factor, more so than the way the A's have used him so far. That's true. I mean, he he, he came out of one game in the fourth, but then they did let him go to the sixth in the next one. Am I right? So yeah, 81, 86, and 100 pitches. Like if he's more efficient, he's he's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I, is it worth trying to put these guys in context? I mean. So we got Mason Miller, we got Bryce Miller, we got Louis Varland pitching today. Uh, we got T- Taj Bradley in the minors. I guess he had a bad game. I, I mean, I don't really track results in the same way, so I don't know. Like, does he still have great stuff? Yes. So check that. You know, um, maybe he was. Uh, maybe there's some worry about the tiredness factor on a five day schedule. I don't think so. So. Um, Tosh, so let's let's put these guys in the blender. Taj Bradley, Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, Gavin Stone, Mason Miller, Bryce Miller. It's a big would you rather. They're all rosterable to me in 12-team leagues. Pick three. Bybee is in the group for sure. Mm. The hardest person for me to decide on this group is Tosh Bradley. Is he back up if Josh Fleming's foot puts him on the IL? Josh Fleming got hit by a comebacker. He's back up even if Josh Fleming. I mean, right now they're they're <laughs> sorry. <laughs> nah, I, I don't know. 
I don't know what language that was, but I understood it. I say he's back up either way because right now they're fudging two spots with Chirinos and, and Fleming. So they'd much rather have an actual pitcher in one of those. Bybee for sure. Sorry, that's really mean to those people. They're fine pitchers. Is Brandon Fott part of this too? Yeah, okay. Because he's coming that. up. You said yeah. Stone's part of this. Varlin's part of this. I think I want Bybee and Fott as the first two, and probably Bradley as the third, because I am operating under the assumption that you and the that wasn't the Swedish chef, but it was it was something. <laughs> guard to guard to guard. Yeah, okay. I don't think they like the Swedish chef in Sweden. Uh, Taj Bradley, I think, is my third because I'm fairly confident he's coming back up, and I think he's a cut above the rest. And I think team context is one of the things that separates some of these pitchers from each other. I think that's one mm. of the big difference makers is looking at who's going to win games and who's not that might be because these are all very skilled high quality pitchers stone versus bradley i think is where i would be drawing the line for that last spot i think fought's up for good and i think bybee's up for good and this is just the part of this is the result of all the injuries we're having right now mm -hmm. but some of it's also like these are guys are almost like all ready to be in the big leagues anyway uh, i definitely have uh, a different three and uh, the the tough one for me is Bybee because we've now got a couple of starts and I think people are ogling the gun a little bit um, because that fastball is an I-7 stuff plus and, uh, and yes, it has good velo, uh, averaging 95 so far, uh, but it has average shape, almost exactly average shape. So the, the usefulness comes mostly from the velo uh, we've seen other guys sort of debut and then see the velo sort of drop off. And I don't see, uh, at least by stuff, plus a, 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 a plus plus uh, secondary pitch. Um, where I do see that with Logan Allen um, with, uh, with multiple uh, secondary pitches. So um, despite the fastball being worse for Logan Allen, I'm going to go with uh, Logan Allen uh, as my third guy. Taj Bradley is my second guy. And this might be surprising. Maybe I'm too in too deep on this uh, first start, but I'm going to go with Bryce Miller first. Hmm. And uh, when you mentioned team context, I, I just see uh, there's a definite role there for him. Um, the other guy that came up and went back down and might even be hurt already. Um, yes, he's hurt already. The other guy that just had a start for them, a spot start for the uh, Mariners. You're talking about Easton McGee? Yeah, he, he did not have good stuff numbers, and I believe he's hurt. So uh, unless they're going to bring up Emerson Hancock, like they need Bryce Miller. Bryce Miller has really good scouting numbers um, and uh, really good stuff plus numbers. It goes hand in hand. The team context is there. The stuff numbers are there. The scouting numbers are there. So that one's my lock for number one. Bradley is um, the, the model likes him. The scouts like him. And I do believe he's going to be up. That's what makes him hard to rank. Um, if we wanted to just focus on ones in the big leagues and give me an out, um, then I would go Bryce Miller, Logan Allen, Tyner Bybee, Tyner, Tanner Bybee probably. So two from the Guardians. Yeah, I think they need it. Uh, you know, Cal Quantrill's not pitching that well. Zach Plesak's not pitching that well. So even if Savali gets healthy, I think that they can go in different directions in that rotation. The only people that uh, from a veteran standpoint that I would immediately just award a roster, uh, a rotation spot to are Shane Bieber and Aaron Savali, actually. 
um, when I'm talking about the veterans, right? Well, the healthy ones. Tristan McKenzie has a spot once he's healthy. Right. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So when they're all healthy, Tristan. McKenzie, so I'm I'm awarding the veterans three spots. That that leaves two spots that you could fill with Plesac and Quantrill. I me personally wouldn't. Um, and there could be one spot because maybe you say Quantrill ninety three stuff plus a history of of doing well with that cutter and and finding his way through games. Plesac does not get any of that rope from me so there's at least one spot when everybody's healthy and i don't think that there's going to be a time when all four veterans are healthy <laughs> no you've definitely seen enough of zach plesak be the cleveland guardians when you have all these other higher ceiling young starters turn to them a uh, challenging and fun would you rather though because i think you could argue a lot of different combinations of three as your preferred choice violin's going to get a month i think we don't know what happens uh when when um Tyler Malley comes back. So uh also his his stuff plus numbers in the minors uh were good fastball, good slider, and then everything else sort of averageish below averageish. So if, is he a two-pitch fastball slider guy that's gonna have some issues against lefties or not? Uh those are the questions, you know, uh that go beyond kind of just an overall stuff plus number, the kind of stuff we've been talking about here in terms of kind of looking at the arsenal a little bit deeper than just the overall number. Uh, who else was on the list? Uh, Mason Miller. I just, I think it might be 75 innings. I mean, I th- if they got 75 innings out of them, they might shut him down. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, he's, he's, he put a big zero up before. Yeah. If you, if you do that to Mason Miller from a workload perspective, I think you're setting yourself up for multiple years of so a non-starter workload. I think you have to push him more. And we mm. talked about what he did back in college. I think they can use that as their starting point. I think it could be closer to 100 or 110 innings for Mason Miller. And then next year, you're looking at maybe like a 140, 150 range. And then the year after that, he's like every other starter. I think that's We ignoring reasonable. somebody in that group that we, uh, we talked about? Stone? We haven't seen Stone yet. Stone, my big comp is still Tony Gonsolin. That's the one I figured out. I, I pretty much, because the, fa- the, the fastball stuff plus numbers aren't great. Tony Gonsolin's fastball stuff plus numbers aren't great. Gonsolin has a great splitter. Stone has a great splitter. They both have averages above averages sliders. So, like, I think Gonsolin is the is the the comp there, and Gonsolin's been up and down. So, I don't think Stone is necessarily going to, you know, hit the ball running, hit the ground running, and and dominate. We had a, a per pitch stuff question that came in from Mike. It kind of fits into this conversation. Mike's curious if the per pitch stuff plus on fan graphs is normalized by pitch type or by overall stuff plus numbers. Hopefully this question makes sense. But basically, if I look at a guy that has a 120 stuff plus slider, is that an average slider or a 20% better than average slider? I thought about this when looking at Hayden Wisniewski, and I decided to drop him in my 16-team league because I thought he just lost minors eligibility. (laughs) Does his fastball stuff plus suck? And his heat map is all down the middle despite having secondary. So there's a Wisniewski question there too, but just from a per pitch number, is it indexed the way, say, WRC plus is, where 120 does in fact mean 20% better than league average? On the single pitch level, 10 points is one standard deviation. I believe that's correct. On the very on the single pitch level. But once you aggregate even up to a single pitcher's pitch type, it starts to lose that. And you can't really say 20% better than league average. I think it's more useful to kind of put them on a leaderboard 
and uh, and and kind of compare them to like. So I'm going to put all starters on here with 10 innings and put and do sliders among starters. And uh, there we go. Hayden Wisniewski has the 23rd best uh, uh, slider among starting pitchers. Um, he's got that sweeper, and it's right there. It's kind of funny. Schmidt, Tyon, and Wesnensky right there in a row with uh, very similar sweepers. Um, and that's behind the power sliders of like a Reed Detmers, who's got the 19th best one. Uh, John Gray throws both kinds, but he's uh, he's up there at 16th. Uh, George Kirby throws a sweeper right now, and he's at he's at 11th. Uh, Brad Keller throws a sweeper. He's at 10th. Um, Shohei Otani's sweeper is at 7th. Uh, Mitch Keller's sweeper is 5th. And Jake DeGrom's power slider is number 1. And that's a 178 stuff plus. So, it's... I, you know, uh, maybe we could have done a better job of that. Um, there are different scalings with different uh, stuff plus metrics. And it is uh, annoying. And it, you can't quite say... It's 20% better than the league average. Um, but when you put it on a leaderboard, you can get some good context out of it. So Hayden Wisniewski does have a top 25 slider and then uh, a an above average cutter. And then his forcing fastball is poor. Awful. It's really Awful. bad. And uh, his sinker is good. So you can see that against righties, uh, you know, a, a decent sinker and a plus sweeper Ah, he's pretty good against righties. Against lefties, he's got an average cutter and a poor four seam and a poor changeup. So he's in a little bit of a boat like Clark Schmidt. If you're wondering why Clark Schmidt's overall stuff plus numbers are great and his results are bad, is that uh, Clark Schmidt is um, you know throwing his sweeper and his sinker to lefties, and he needs to stop doing that. Uh, and his four seam fastball actually grades out better than his cutter, and he's been you know falling in love with his cutter. So I do think a pitch mix uh, change over time could help Clark Schmidt. I'm not sure what to do with Wesnensky. Um, it's an uneven package across the board, and someone like Tyon is better because Tyon's four seam is better, um, and Tyon has a, a curveball, which Hayden Wesnensky doesn't have. So there's, um, you know, there's you can look at two guys that have similar stuff plus uh, in numbers, and there is a, a difference between them. And in terms of uh, saying something is 10% better than league average or whatever, uh, I'm sorry that it doesn't work out better that way. But um, if you want to look at uh, overall stuff plus, uh, basically uh, 100 to 110 is um, is really good. Uh, 110 plus uh, is uh, like near elite and anything over 115 is elite. So, because you're talking about when you're at 120 stuff plus, uh, like Garrett Cole, you're two standard deviations above uh, the mean there. And as the, the league continues to lose pitchers to injury and we have all these waiver wire guys coming in, some of them are interesting rookies, some of them are more organizational guys that are going to get hit around a little bit too, having that separation continues to have a, a lot of value surprising thing with Wesneski for me is just how low his strikeout rate is right now 13.8 percent very very low last year in that debut he was sitting at 25 percent projections push him a little closer to the high teens for the rest of the season so I don't know if the the big breakout we were hoping for from Wesneski is coming this year it might take a, another round of adjustments perhaps in an offseason 
for him to find something else that works because that four seamer is just it's uh it's a problem <laughs> just to put it very nicely you, i think if you are judicious about when you use him you can still you know use him some um you know, like a, I would have used him uh, pretty easily at Washington, I think, and he had a good start. Um, I would have used him at Oakland, and he had a good start. Uh, I would have avoided uh, Cincinnati, uh, and uh, he had a bad start. Uh, you know, would I have used him against Seattle when he was like absolutely horrible? I might have. I might have. I, I might have caught some flack there. <laughs> yeah, home, home at Wrigley. Home against Seattle. Yeah, you know. that was probably a play that early in the I season. Would not that was have probably played play. him after that blow up. I would have not have played him against LA, and uh, I'm not sure about San Diego. Yeah, San Diego was in the midst of a slump, and that was pre Tatis, I think. The 27th. That was right around the time he was coming back. So I, th- I think he was back for that. In any case, uh, it's not an offense that's super scary. So. Yeah, it hasn't been so far. Might get there, but yeah, Hayden Wesneski, a bit of a disappointment so far. We have an idea of like where he's going from here. He he pitched on the second. Next few starts for Hayden Wesneski. I wish I had all the schedules memorized. That'd be great. So it looks like he's got Miami at home. That's a go. At Minnesota next week. That's the real question, right? Because there might be some leagues where Wesneski popped up on the wire. Oh, is it a double tap? No, Marlins is this week. So it's a two-start week this week that people maybe would have picked him up for if he was dropped. But would you hold him and use him at Minnesota? I probably wouldn't. But then see what goes after that. One, two, three, four, five. At Phillies, no. One, two, three, four, five. Mets at home. I think you drop him and maybe try to get him back by May 25th. 16-team league, maybe a little more borderline, but I don't think he's a must-hold in those leagues. If you found someone more interesting to pick up like Mike did, I think he probably made the right choice, especially if it was in a, a prospect spot because we're talking about so many higher ceiling guys coming up and getting opportunities this year. He's generally someone, he does point out a fact, which is that like someone's overall stuff plus can be pushed by uh, one elite pitch and there are concerns about how a, a thing fits together. Uh, because if you look at, say, Stroman, Stroman has the same stuff plus, but he has um, a better cutter uh, and uh, a better curveball. So if he's facing lefties, he has more of something he can do against lefties. Yeah, that's a really good point. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to a new closer in Texas. And thank you for that question, by the way, Mike. Will Smith is taking over that role, which is a little bit of a surprise. Will Smith is just not quite the guy he was a few years ago when he was 
basically a top 10 closer when he had a hold on that role with other clubs. I, I see a guy that's sort of just like a good-ish reliever, but like a seventh inning guy that's a, a little bit overmatched as a team's, air quotes, best reliever. Be using him as a lefty. Getting good results, though, so far. And the K rate's back up from where it was last year. Will Smith last season had the K rate dip below 25%. He's back up closer to 30% so far this year. And so far, he's kept the ball in the yard. But if you look at the home run to fly ball rate, that may just be some good luck cooked in there right now. So what are the odds that Will Smith keeps the job? And then who do you like as the next option up if the Rangers are forced to make another change in the coming weeks? I don't... I mean, K-BB is pretty good on him. Um... So that's that's a, a a piece of context, but we're still in the in the in the area where K, uh, stuff plus beats came on his BB, and he has a seventy nine stuff plus on the fastball. I think that's gonna burn him eventually. Eighty percent of the balls he allows contact on are in the air. That's not going to work. I don't think so. Especially with the bad fastball. Some of those are just going to turn into homers. And homers, I think, are the easiest way. Like Homers and walks are obviously the way you lose your job. But homers are, I think, easier. Because it's like, oh, well, we lost the game. <laughs> like Walks, you have to string a few together. So I don't think he's one of the better league. I would, I would put him in the bottom. It's interesting. He is a closer. And there are situations where we don't even know who the closer is. So he's not like ranked 25th 25th through 30th right like those are the situations where we're like like i don't even know right what are those situations where are some some closers situations where we just don't even know who the closer is like oakland i guess finnegan oakland yeah we feel like oakland like, like what? <laughs> who's the closer in oakland um they have to win one to figure it out we get some committees i mean the angels look like a committee that sort of tilts to a steves but when healthy, Quijada has been a part of that. So that makes them kind of closer to the bottom, I think. Um, Iglesias is coming is back. So Atlanta's solid. Cubs are in turnover right now. It's Boxberger for now. But I think he, this is Will Smith is in the Brad Boxberger bucket for me. It's like 26th through 28th closers. Maybe like 20 to 25. Because I, I, think, I think you'd find five situations that are overall worse than all right so like finnegan and the nationals let's do it dude let's do it so finnegan and, finnegan the, nationals and the nationals are worse uh, lang and the tigers yep that's worse uh, whoever and the a's so we got three yep uh i i might ha- i have a stev as over smith so i'm putting smith in my bottom five fair enough because i think we're running out of bad situations it's clay holmes I know you didn't like him coming into the season. I wasn't really as worried about him. It's been a bumpy start for him to this point. He got a vote of confidence from Aaron Boone, so we'll see uh, see how far that carries him. But Clay Holmes is <laughs> not looking like the guy we saw a year ago. Michael King's a good pickup. I tried to sneak him by in labor, and Ian Kong got me last week. Michael King is a good pickup if you're looking. Uh, I would say in Texas, Jonathan Hernandez is the guy to pick up if you're looking. Um, he's the guy who has six holds, so he's right behind Will Smith. He throws really hard. He has a 108 stuff plus. His sinker is a 102, you know? So he's a sinker slider righty. Maybe he has some issues against lefties. Maybe Will Smith comes and poaches a save or two from him against the lefty, but uh, he 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 takes the boxes of a normal closer. Like, does he throw hard? Does he strike people out? Does he have good stuff? Yes, yes, yes. Will Smith, does he throw hard? No. Does he have good stuff? No. He's striking people out for now, but 
I don't know if I see if I don't if I see a ceiling for Will Smith that's higher than what we described. Though. I don't know if he could go on a run like this for more than a few weeks before it all falls apart. And I think the Rangers are one of those teams Did that he care. Do like that Mark Melanson season, where we we're all like, "No, he can't. It's not going to work." I and guess that's like always possible. <laughs> Michael King is really interesting. They use him for more than three outs at a time on a pretty regular basis. So they they just like the versatility, at least the way they've been using him. But at least when he pitches, it's close games. Clark Schmidt could take that Michael King role, yeah. honestly. If like there's some upheaval in the rotation, if Rodon ever figures it out or whatever, you know, whatever they decide to do in the rotation, Clark Schmidt could take that. Like I also don't think that after the uh, issues that Michael King had in terms of injury that you can do multi-inning all year. I mean, look at him. 63, 51 innings uh, in 34 games. Like, the way they're using him, I don't think is necessarily good for his health. Yeah, that's uh, that's a potential downside. He's been great, though, so far. Yeah. 20 Ks. He's, he's just good to pick up, even if you just want to keep your ratios down and, and, and gobble an occasional save yeah, and some wins. Do you think the... With the league run environment being what it is, that these non-closer, multi-inning relievers, especially, become more viable to roster. Yeah, I I do think so. If you think about like what's on your wire in a fifteen-team league in terms of pitching and the league average ERA being four-three, we've already talked about uh, with my co-manager on my main event team that uh, like this week we put in Jason Adam. Uh, and we did it over Ross Stripling, so we maybe made the wrong, the wrong move because Ross Stripling was a two-starter, and we just didn't like that away start in Houston. And then he pitched well there. Watch him uh, give up a bunch of runs to Milwaukee in the second start uh, at home. But, um, you know, we were comparing that to J.P. Sears and then some other uh, waiver wire starters, and we moved up the relievers and ended up going with Jason Adam mm. over Ross Stripling because we thought... If we're going to get a five and a half ERA from Stripling this week, we would rather get fewer innings of a one ERA from Jason Adam. Well, I think that paid off. You already got a save from Jason Adam early in the week. And we uh, we can move a lot with some saves. So that was part of the equation too. But I think, you know, Adam is close to King where it's like, you don't think he's the closer, but he might get some saves and he's going to have good numbers otherwise, you know? Yeah, I wonder if that's going to end up being a winning strategy, though, where a lot of teams that were previously planning on going seven starters, two relievers, used six starters and three relievers and did better because they won in ratios. You know, they they did fine. I don't know. And if wins are harder to come by because young starters are pitching and they're not getting as deep into games, there's a lot of ways that the the shift can actually happen. And I think that could be something that we're on track for based on the way things have gone so far. And in weekly leagues, just having one on your roster, if there's injuries uh, to the rest of your squad or you lose, like, let's say you're running out of free agents auctions, auction money, like, it's kind of good to have one guy there where you're like, oh, man, it, it all came down. And uh, I either have to start like Joe Musgrove in Colorado or, you know, Michael King. And you're just like, um, phew, thanks. I thank God I have Michael King. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you have any other players like this that sort of just jump off the page in the model? I know a lot of people are looking at uh, Yenier Cano in Baltimore. We had multiple oh. questions about him and his model numbers, but it's the guys that are not closing, but they're in good situations as far as teams that win, and they're just pitching 
really, really well. Cano fits that description, but doesn't pop in the model right now. Well, I, I have, I do have some news about that. I checked with my modeler about that situation, and um, it's a unique pitch. So it's a little bit like Alexis Diaz, where if you are like truly a unique pitch, um, then the model doesn't know what to compare you to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't have sidearm. He doesn't have a sidearm release, um, but he gets uh, extreme movement. Let me see if I can catch this real quick on a. Um, I don't want qualified. Let's see here. Sinker Z. Let's see. Oh, I hate this because if you do it by bottom, you have to go find it. It's like it shows you all the people who don't have sinkers first. Thank you for that. <laughs> Where are the people with actual sinkers that drop a lot? I would like those guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm page seven. Thank you. Uh, oh, here we go. Sinker Z. Jimmy Herget is up there. Yenir Cano. Oh, love at that. Sinker Z. Who has more Sinker Z? Adam Simber? Side armor. Tyler Rogers? Side armor. Ryan Thompson? Side armor. Tim Hill? Side armor. Alexis Claudio? Side armor. Yenir Cano has the most sink out of any more over-the-top release point. And so there's just no other pitch to compare it to. And the model is doing basically high level comps. You know, it's like looking for other pitches that move like this and how they did. So there's nothing to compare it to. That's the problem. I would say that Cano probably has elite stuff. <laughs> kind of looks like it when you watch it. Yeah, if you just look at it, you know, yeah. So um, uh, that's, a, that's a miss for the, the model. But it's, it's, it's something that... Once we retrain it, that's why we do retrain it every year at the, you know, once we get a month or two of information, we retrain it on that new information because you have to, you have to capture these new people uh, that have unique stuff. But uh, I, I think an easy way to kind of capture some of these guys that would be good to pick up are just go over to Fangraphs, uh, arrange the relievers by stuff. And then I have in my secret soft sauce pitches just so you have an idea of how many pitches are going into that stuff plus number and then holds and holds, I think are just a good idea of like, you know, where's that guy being used. And so uh, Griffin Jacks is a get, has six holds. That's a guy that they use uh, to get a bunch of outs with his elite slider. Uh, and he's number four in overall stuff plus because of one elite pitch, but it, it works for him. Uh, another guy that's near the top is Brian Abreu. He may even step in for Ryan Presley if uh, Ryan Presley gets hurt. Uh, another guy with a lot of uh, holds and a lot of stuff plus is Brian Baker. He's got six holds and he's 12th in stuff plus. So it's, it's, it's really easy when you start picking him off this way. I know Steven Wilson's overall numbers aren't great, but he's got six holds. The overall numbers are starting to normalize and uh, and he's, uh, he's, he's 18th in stuff plus. Jason Adams on this list. Caleb Thielbar is a bit of an interesting name on this list. Um, Craig Kimbrell is still on this list. So that's <laughs> all, those are the top 30 guys in Stuff Plus that also have uh, you know more than four holds. Yeah, I was looking to see, too, what, what Carlos Hernandez has been up to. I see him popping in the model, 480 ERA, 147 whip. That guy should be so much better. The game log. The game log. 
It's uh, it's it's a it's a blow up, I believe. One meltdown. Yep. One, it's one meltdown. It's really is. If you took the one, he didn't get any outs, and he gave up five runs. If you took that out, his whole season, he's given up three runs. Yeah. So I think he's the kind of guy where he's going to keep getting closer and closer to the end of the game. He's going to get more holds and maybe steal some some saves because Chapman is still a lefty, still wild. Um, and isn't their main closer, isn't Scott Barlow lefty? Barlow's a righty. Barlow's a righty, okay. So at least second righty in that pen. And then Scott Barlow, I think, is probably on the softer end of closing situations. Yeah, he's had two outings like that one where he's given up uh, combined six earned runs in two outings and I think one earned run across every other outing. So he's sort of in the, the wobbly vending machine spot where one more wobble and it falls over. <laughs> Yeah, but they, and honestly, of course, they could go to Chapman. They could go to Chapman. Your friend had a vending uh, machine fall on him once. That's uh, yeah. I'm remembering. We've used that analogy before. <laughs> Sorry, Jason Chan. <laughs> His legs okay by now, probably. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the hitters, man. <laughs> oh, we're we're gonna get there. It's, it's fine. It's 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 fine. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Here's what we did. Here's the methodology for the hitters. I took a look at the bad X from the full season, like opening day, and I compared it to what I ran yesterday on May 2nd, and I was looking for the players who moved up the most in WRC+. And the guys that moved down the most. And it's interesting because projections do change pretty fast. If the season never stopped, it would be like harder to, to make decisions, I feel like. I think we make, we, we make more confident decisions because everything stops. And we can assess everything a little more in detail. Take, our time. take mm-hmm. our time. Think through it. And then we go back at it again. But they're, they're always changing. The league as a whole, because of the run environment... Projections for hitters are just generally better. There are some players who have been projected for a worse WRC plus for the rest of the season uh, than when the season began. 
it's a pretty small group though of guys that are actually negative. I think there are 588 players in this list and number 555 on the list is the first one with actually a full negative drop, a one point or more drop in WRC+. So most players stayed the same or got better. So now it's more of like, well, who improved the most? Because that's what you're looking for, for meaningful changes. Who are the projection systems, or at least which players are the bat X buying into the most? Jake Berger is the biggest mover by WRC+. He started the year with an even 100 WRC+. He's now projected for a 121 the rest of the way. So you've got Berger up top, Giancarlo Stanton, who's hurt right now, plus 20. Rowdy Telez is a plus 19. Nolan Gorman, who's been fantastic so far, a plus 18, goes from a 97 to a 114. Clearly a much more interesting player today than he was when the season started, based on those results. You've got also, I think, a class of players which are just um, like kind of aging veterans that showed you enough... um, uh, uh, that shows you enough batted ball oomph to to kind of readjust the aging. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you're gonna like year to year, you're gonna be like, oh, Paul Goldschmidt is old. Oh, oh wait, he's still hitting the ball hard. Okay, let's readjust. So Mike Trout, Paul Goldschmidt, um, I think they Max Muncy, uh, they count as uh, veterans. Anthony Rizzo, um, they count as veterans that the sort of bad ball data has been like, okay, whatever the aging curve said before, let's uh, readjust that because he's still hitting the ball hard. Yeah. So there's some pretty interesting names mixed in here that are not top end players or not prospects who've gotten better. Hunter Renfro was kind of a surprising name to me, just someone that I thought was very oatmeal-y, but to see him almost near the top of this list in terms of his improvements, showing a ton of power again, not a surprise, clearly has a strong hold in an everyday role. Most of that lineup is actually pretty healthy right now. Unfortunately, Logan Ohapi, who was high on this list, is down with that shoulder surgery. But uh, this is a group that gives them a chance to put up some pretty big counting stats, too. So I think I mentioned Renfro as a possible cheap power play about a week or so ago, someone you could go trade for. I just don't think people value him that much, and they probably should. And this, this shift sort of supports that. Yeah, he's not my favorite kind of player, but... Uh, he also is the kind of player that has kind of whittled away at the kind of flaws that I saw. I, I, you know, sometimes you 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 sort a guy, and I sorted him. I think as a thirty percent K rate, like six percent walk rate guy at some point, and uh, and then you don't necessarily always check your priors, you know. And it's it's really interesting to see that in the last three years he's more of a twenty one percent strikeout rate, eight percent walk rate guy, which is like kind of completely different, you know. <laughs> and he's he's improved his swinging strike rate while maintaining these really plus batted ball numbers. I kind of saw him as like um, a poor man's Chris Davis with a C, you know. Remember him? But even Chris Davis, when he was a feared slugger, had higher walk rates because people were just afraid of him as a slugger. So I'm not sure that Hunter Renfro is going to age really that well. And I think that's part of why he signs like these one-year deals and, and gets traded around. Um, and I think people see this as a, a package that might not age that well. He'll go back to being kind of a five a five and six and 30 guy. Uh, but at the same time, right now, you're talking about what is he doing right now? What age is he right now? He's 31 and he's hitting the ball really hard again. 
Um, and he's making more contact than he's ever made. So it uh, seems like this is the time to buy on a short-term basis for sure. Yeah, and I Rent think... don't buy, I guess. And I think it kind of fits into what we talked about on, on Project Prospect too. There are certain types of players that in Keeper and Dynasty Leagues, people don't value that much. The reasons you just outlined are the reasons why Hunter Renfro tends to be overlooked in those formats. You might be able to go trade for him and actually hold on to him longer than you think. I mean, we're going back to 2021 now to see a player who's been at least 13% better than league average each of these last three seasons, and he's lowered his K rate again this year, maintaining a good enough walk rate. Very early in his career, didn't walk enough. Last five years, he's walked as much as you need a player to walk, probably kind of in that sweet spot where he takes advantage of the opportunities. He's not too patient if such a thing really does, in fact, exist. Quality of contact also pretty consistently good there as well, up to a 48.3% hard hit rate. A little surprised to see the barrel rate down for Hunter Renfro, but... Good things across the board here. Uh, two guys that are relatively new to the redraft pool for this year, Nelson Velasquez and Kerry Carpenter. You know, the Tigers rebuild situation just leaves the door wide open for a guy like Carpenter to play more. The Cubs being a little better than expected out of the gates, I think, have tougher decisions to make. I don't know why they're still playing Eric Hosmer instead of Matt Mervis. I don't I can't explain that one. But Nelson Velasquez is the type of player, it's a little bit like the Christopher Morel profile for me, where, yeah, there are some things that I'd like to see improvement on, but the things he does well, the quality of contact he's capable of making, does put him on the radar for me as someone that should matter, in at least in 15-team leagues, if not eventually in 12s. Yeah, uh, what are these center field starts? Was Bellinger, oh, that was paternity leave for Bellinger, maybe? Yes, Bellinger had paternity leave. But he stayed up after that, and now he's DHing and left fielding. So if we're looking at the Cubs' uh, depth charts, he's threatening Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer's playing time. Right. He could also just play Hosmer, not at all. Cut Hosmer, play Mancini at first base, and then use Velasquez in the corner as a fourth outfielder uh, slash DH. Yeah. Uh, the big thing for Velasquez that I think is changing his projections is that uh, he's making a lot more contact, and I guess he's doing it in a way that is uh, is shaping the projections. But I don't know if that's necessarily true either. Maybe it's the max EV because he's making more contact on a per pitch basis in terms of swing strike rate. His strikeout rate is down low, but if you look at his projections, you did the bad X. It's still for a thirty two percent strikeout rate. Mm-hmm. So let me see. You can actually do, you can show preseason projections the same right next to, uh, so the biggest movement has actually been his power. And I don't know if that's a league-wide thing because the drag on the ball is different this year. It seems like there's some evidence the ball's different again this year. Um, or it's because he once again hit the ball really hard and has been barreling balls. And that that's moved the bad X uh, power projection up. The, the median across this group for increase for slugging percentage is 17 points in slugging. Nelson Velasquez has a 44-point increase. 44, there you go. So there's a pretty healthy jump. It's still a, a fringy, like almost league average, slightly below league average outcome because with swing and miss, he projects for a low average and limited OBP. I think it's just a question of how much can he improve. Like the K rate at AAA last year was 36.2%. The brief time he was there this year, only 14 games, he didn't prove it, 29%. So maybe we could see a 30 to 33% K rate at the big league level, and that's enough because he hits the ball really hard. 14.5% barrel rate, 
through his first 86 big league games. That's right in that range where the swing and miss and the quality of the contact are at a level that a team will accept if other things fall into place. If the defense is good, uh, if they see, they see other tools they like, a guy like this keeps playing. Kerry Carpenter is a guy that I have poo-pooed in the past. I just didn't really want to believe in part because of his age. He's already 25 years old. We dropped him in the first week in Maine. Well, did you make a mistake? Like Are the projections making you feel bad about that? The hard hit rate is up for the season, and he is chasing pitches outside the zone less than he did a year ago in a similarly sized sample, albeit this is still less playing time than he had last season for the Tigers. We don't know what his true talent, balls and play numbers are going to look like. Those are the, that, that's actually kind of a, 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 a difficult thing when you look at two guys that have a 29% strikeout rate and hit the ball hard. Um, I think it's kind of difficult to know exactly which one's going to have like a 240 batting average and which one's going to have like a 220 batting or a 210. You know what I mean? A lot of that comes just from luck on balls and play. And sometimes it's just luck or sometimes it's like, oh, he hits the ball hard in line drive angles. Unfortunately, hitting the ball hard in line drive angles is not something that's like super sticky, you know? Um, so right now he's a 250 BABIP. Last year he had a 303 BABIP. I, he could stick at 250 all year and just be a 220 hitter with, you know, 20, 25 homers. Uh, in which case he, he seems a little bit replaceable, you know? He's not stealing bags, not going to keep you, help you in batting average. But if he gets that, if he gets it back up to, you know, some in the minors, he had some levels with like a 330 Babbitt. If he had a 330 Babbitt from here on out, he'd be like a 260 hitter with, you know, 25 homers. And then suddenly he's above average or at least above replacement in, in most leagues. One of the more interesting players that's moved up, and I think people have already picked him up in a lot of leagues, is Jack Sawinski. I think I put it to Al this way on Friday. I said, is Jack Swinski a shadow league player now? See someone that in a 10-team league has a, a spot. I mean, based on the slash line, it's a, it's a clear yes. There's power. There's a little bit of speed. He seems like a big part of this step forward for the Pirates this year. He's also chasing fewer pitches outside the zone, making more hard contact, and hitting the ball in the air more often. So doing a lot of good things all at once here through 23 games. There is a, a mechanical change here. I just talked to one of his hitting coaches uh, yesterday, actually, about uh, a change he's made in terms of uh, how his front foot lands, um, and uh, he's landing. He's he has an open stance like Kyle Schwarber, uh, but he used to land open, and I used to have him sort of pulling off of the outside corner. And um, I think that uh, you know part of this improvement has been he's landing closed and he's emulating Kyle Schwarber a little bit. I think Kyle Schwarber is just a, a fascinating guy to compare him to um, because you're talking about uh, another guy who doesn't have great batting averages but does have great power and has uh, closed up holes in the past. And, uh, and what you're seeing from Jack Sawinski is a, a really steady improvement on his K rate from last year uh, really up and down around 25% as opposed to um, uh, uh, 30% if you if you look at his day-by-day graphs. Uh, so I think this is, uh, it's possible we're in the middle of a breakout. He's 24 years old. If he strikes out, you know, 25% going forward, he's going to be a guy who uh, ends the season, I think, with uh, 25 to 30 homers and, uh, I don't know, 15 steals. That's a... Pretty big time player. 
I mean, he should, he, has to, he has to be owned everywhere. I Easy top one hundred guy then with those numbers. That's like more of a top fifty player. Yeah, I think this could be a breakout. I mean, you know, I think the 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 feeling around him, you know, from uh, you know just people who were watching him was this is a guy who is super toolsy, you know, and if he could improve any his contact ability at any bit, he was going to stick because he's one of these guys who runs fast, throws the ball hard, hits the ball hard, you know, he's an athlete. And so you see this like step forward and walk rate and this step forward and strikeout rate and step forward and contact rate and step forward and, and chase rate. You're like, oh, this could be it. Now he could go back in the tank and, and hit 200 from here on out. He'd still end the season with 230 and 25 and 10, you know? Yeah. And that would have played in a lot of leagues. Yeah, there is some some risk that the batting average is worse going forward. But I would point out that the batting average projections here range from 230 basically to 245. So worst case scenario, you're getting a 230 hitter with a lot of power and speed. He should, definitely should be owned everywhere. I want to ask you about J.J. Bladé because we know with the A's, opportunity should be there. Maybe it's at the expense of someone that we liked a bit this offseason, Connor Capel. Bladé is putting together a really nice run at AAA. Capel's interesting. He's he's playing fine. He's just boring. Well, yeah, know? yeah. It's like, Maybe well, how long do you stick with that? He he's ninety nine WRC plus. You know, strikes out a little bit too much for his skill set. No power, but runs okay. Like defense is all right. You know, it's it's pretty boring. I I wonder. And then what's on the other side? Uh, on the other side of Ruiz is Ramon Laureano, who could get traded. Um. And uh, and then you got Brent Rooker, who's is factoring in a DH in the outfield, who I think could be a little bit of a breakout. I'm surprised we haven't seen him move a little bit here. But with Capel, there's a there's an opportunity for Bidet. And I think the big thing that's moving this projection change is just the best strikeout rate of Bidet's career ever. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's by far. I mean, it's yeah. it's by a lot. And it, it was it's strange to me is that he he was supposed to be a very polished college player coming out of that draft and the Marlins took him fourth overall I think most people thought he was going to move quickly and and contribute the debut last year was was rough from a surface number standpoint 167 277 309 he wasn't chasing pitches outside the zone it's only 27.8 percent O swing nothing wrong with that 8.6 percent barrel rate not bad uh, a ton of fly balls a ton of fly balls 23.7 percent ground ball rate I was surprised we talked about it at the time when they put him in center field but you know, if you're rebuilding, I guess you try to do things to make players more valuable. I would almost want to know with, with Blade how much of it is just being completely healthy, and then how much of it is being in this environment in Las Vegas and the PCL where the ball tends to fly pretty much everywhere. Oh, yeah, and you know that affects pitch movement, right? So maybe the breakers just aren't as nasty that you're seeing either. But Miami's AAA affiliates also PCL. And he struck out 27% of the time so, away from Miami. Yeah, so it's, it's level improvement in a place where he played recently. So that, the other part of it is, like, did he, yeah, did he change his swing? Is there a, an adjustment similar to what Swinsky made that, that J.J. Blade has made? And you know, a lot of people haven't had a chance to get eyes on it yet because it's happening in AAA. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that it's moved the projection so much. And now the bad X projects a 25% strikeout rate, where you know, this all plays a lot better at 25%. You know, the OBP starts climbing over 300, you know, and then the power starts to shine through. Nolan Jones, because of what he's doing at AAA, has improved his projection. We've talked about it before, just 
blocked by the Rockies right now. The the addition of Jerks and Profar hurt Nolan Jones a lot, and there's no real no real end in sight for them to change change their plans with Profar. So I, I think it's just more of a wait and wait and wait situation for Nolan Jones. But once he gets the call, I think I'm going to be interested in him from a fab perspective. At the other end of the list, I think the most surprising name near the bottom is Brandon Lau. He actually has dropped five points in WRC plus since the start of the season. It's not like he's dropped enough to where I'm worried about him. I just, I was trying to say like, why? Like what, why would he be projected lighter than he is right now? Oh, it's a strikeout rate surge. K's up. Yep. 30.1%. And if he continues to do this and the barrel rate doesn't stay at the upper end of his range which is that it's the highest it's ever been i mean it's obviously right. a small sample but if, if that kind of comes down and the k rate doesn't come back down with it then you've got a much more challenging player to throw out there as often as the rays play him but the power looks like it's still completely intact for Lau coming off the injury which for me was a big deal since he was very hurt last year only played 65 games we didn't know if we were going to get the same guy from a power perspective i wonder if it would look like if you took his rookie year Mm, or 2019, but 2019 had the rabbit ball, so it's kind of hard to compare that. That was about a half if you took season. His, if you took his rookie year and made it a full season, you would get a 233 average with uh, 22 homers and 8 steals. 24 homers and 8 steals. Yeah, he's not that far off that. And for what it's worth, the bad X and the bat are lighter on Lau's rest of season projections than the other systems too. So, mm-hmm. just a little, little inkling. I think um, you know it's possible this would be a good time to sell him if you were a seller. I mean, a keeper league, just move him to someone that's looking for the power and just move on. I mean, I don't think his strikeout rate is going to get significantly better with like a seventeen percent swinging strike rate. I think this is more likely that it's the beginning of the strikeout rate getting worse. Well, and I think what it could be if the Rays end up moving on from Lau at some point this year, it could open up the door for Curtis Mead or somebody else in that organization to get a lot of playing time, which I think is, that's the thing I'm keeping the eye on it for. The replacement mm-hmm. might be even more interesting than Lau himself. Yeah. Um, the other guys at the bottom, uh, there's some that I I I do understand. Uh, you know, Alec Thomas and Stephen Kwan, as much as I, I still like Alec Thomas, uh, obviously he's uh, not, um, he's striking out more than he did last year. And uh, the barrel and, you know, the barrel rate is probably not enough to to move it higher. Uh, in fact, the bad X, even though a 9% barrel rate and a 110 max EV, the bad X is the lightest on his power. That one doesn't make sense to me. I think the underlying numbers for Thomas have all improved enough where I'll take yeah. that little uptick in Ks. He's walking more. He's swinging at fewer pitches outside the zone. He's more than doubled the barrel rate from last year. He's hitting the ball in the air more often. Most of this yeah. all seems sustainable to me. I actually think he's been pretty unlucky to this point. And with McCarthy down, I think Thomas is the kind of player that in the long-term league, if I'm playing for the future, he's one of the guys I'm trying to get back as kind of a second or third piece in a trade because the surface numbers don't look good. Whoever has him right now might even be playing him, and you could get a lot more from him going forward than he's provided to this point. Yeah. Uh, the one that I think makes the most sense to me is Stephen Kwan because he has zero barrels on the year. 
and his max EV has gone down three uh, and is now one of the poorest in the big leagues um, and already was poor. Uh, so, you know, uh, to me, it's like, okay, this is more like a zero power uh, profile now. And the bad X has the smallest ISO and it's, it starts with a zero, uh, in terms of projected ISO. And that is eventually going to affect your, uh, your batting average. So, uh, you know, the bad X is one of the lower end on the batting average too. So it's, it's saying 278 for Stephen Kwan with three homers and 17 steals. Uh, it's a really weird line. It's a guy who's going to finish the season at like 273 with three homers and 25 steals. It's still going to be above zero in terms of fantasy value. Um, but he may affect your power more than you expected. Yeah, I'm fortunate I did not take Stephen Kwan anywhere. I just didn't, I didn't see enough at price to justify it, even though I think he's a fun real life player. So far, so good through the first month. Uh, kind of helps me that he's going the wrong direction, even though I'm not actually rooting against him. He's just he's not everybody yeah. else's team. Then you then you got the weird thing where uh, I really like JD Davis. He has really improved his defense. I, I had a fascinating conversation with him about how he's changed the way he uh, sort of hops into the play as a defender. His uh, one of the bigger defensive turnarounds in baseball. He looks like an everyday third baseman. David VR has played himself out of it, so you've got a role there. Davis has always hit the ball hard. Fascinatingly, he has improved his strikeout rate by reducing his barrel rate. It has one of his worst barrel rates. Um, somehow, from talking to him, the way that he talks about it is sometimes you just say, "I'm gonna." He said it just literally to me the other day. Sometimes I just. I'm going to touch this ball because I know I can hit the ball hard. So let me sort of focus on contact, right? And maybe that hasn't served him that well. And maybe that's something he can change pretty easily where he's like, okay, uh, let me let me muscle some balls out of here. Either way, I mean, the fact that he's got what, the best strikeout rate in the last three years, still has a decent uh, barrel rate, has a, a good max EV uh, and six homers and 291 average, and seems like he's playing every day. I think he needs to be owned in every league. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The surface numbers look good, so I think more likely than not, JD Davis hasn't been dropped or anything. So it's playing time looks more secure with that improved defense. The knock on him was that he was really a DH previously. If he's going to play good defense at third base, you're exactly right. They can make him an everyday guy. And then Michael Conforto, who I think you could almost immediately say, if there's anything wrong, it could just be knocking off the rust. The barrel rate's back to where it was. You know, worst when he was good. Rate, worst strikeout rate, you know. Yeah, he's, so he's, he's flailing away a little bit, but still hitting the ball really hard, which is a sign to me that he's physically feeling pretty good after the long layoff, and it's just a matter of maybe getting the timing all the way back. So it, also aging is a factor. He's 30, so being a couple years older, the K mm -hmm. rate was going to jump up anyway. But I'd be very surprised if we got to the end of the season and this K rate's still above 30%. I would say that was a, a pretty surprising outcome. I think it's more yeah, about 25 to 27%. Agree with you. Let me see if I can see preseason projections for the bad X. Uh, 163 ISO, 170 ISO now. 21% strikeout rate was the projection for Conforto uh, from preseason. And the bad X only moved to 22.7, but that's the biggest mover there is, uh, is that number. Uh, everything else is about the same in terms of ISO and walk rate. And so, 
Uh, here again, it's the strikeout rate moving things. That strikeout rate is something to think about, and he probably may, you know, will have a lower batting average than you might have expected and a higher strikeout rate, but will it stay at 30, and will it stay at 200 for Michael Conforto? I don't think so. It's a pretty good line to buy into. The only drawback doesn't really steal a lot of bases, but I think run production is going to be there. We talked about him as a pretty firm regular on a team that mixes and matches at a lot of places. I think that's still true about they Conforto as well. They were super excited in San Francisco to get Mitch Haniger and Michael Conforto back, which says to me like they think they are everyday anchors in that road, in that in that uh, team. I know that Haniger did have some sits against righties, and I got some panicked uh, texts from people. Uh, uh, I got some texts from people saying like, oh my God, is he a just versus lefties guy? And that is not the vibe I get in San, in San Francisco. I think it's more like he's been very hurt and we're, we're going to give him some days off. And maybe sometimes that'll be against righties, but he's not a guy who sits against righties. We didn't, they didn't pay for that, you know? No, uh, no. They, they, they didn't expect that. And so I think Conforto and Hanniger are the guys that they want in there every day. And then other guys like Peterson, uh, Jastrzemski, um, yeah, I think Tyro needs to be in there every day. Um, so there's there's definitely, you need to have three, four, five, you might even need to have six guys who are mostly in there every day. And uh, I don't think these guys uh, are on the outside of that. Uh, Tyro Estrada off to another good start too. 342, 397, 514, easily the best slash line we've seen from him so far. Nine for 11 as a base dealer. He's also popped four home runs this year as well. The underlying numbers look mostly the same. He's actually chasing a little more and striking out a little bit more. But because the playing time is there, you know, defense is solid. I think he's absolutely in that group of guys that they are going to put out there just about every day. I wonder if free swingers uh, early in the season uh, are more likely to start hot. And the reason I say this is batters as a group swing less in the first month. And that's par- attributed partially to batters being behind and pitchers being ahead. Uh, ha- and so st- walk rates are highest in April. Uh, but what if you were just the guy who uh, swung hard and, and swung a lot? You'd be different than everybody else in April. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe there's something there. I wonder if, if free swingers uh, generally have better Aprils. I wonder if I should look into that. But uh, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a free swinger, but he is a hit tool guy. So he's not a guy uh, who misses a lot and has a tiny walk rate. I think if you have a 17 to 20% strikeout rate, you can have a 5 to 7% walk rate. Maybe a healthier Giants team is capable of uh, moving its way up in the NL West. I've been pretty hard on them. I feel like they're still missing a few pieces, and I think I've got deked a couple of times by the, the magic of 2021, but they're probably not as bad as they appeared at the very beginning of the season. Buzz solve a week for them, I think, because uh, you know Mexico City was tough, dude. It sounds like that was a really hard road trip on everybody, and it's also yeah. the elevation and just it being a very different place. They've never gone as a team before. Like that, I think you can overlook how stressful that actually is. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, ball players like routines. Yaz needs. You know, you're, you're hearing. You know, oh, they're injured. They came out of uh, Mexico City injured. They're griping. They're they're talking about it. They're, they're, they they played poorly. They played poorly after Mexico City. Uh, they got injured. Well, Yastrzemski's information is interesting. It's just a week, and Brandon Crawford's uh, injury is just a week. They think so. You know, maybe the next week won't be great uh, because those actually are kind of important for them defensively. Uh, but um, you know, at the other end. Um, you know, they could have a better stretch coming. I 
think for me, the, the question is really going to be more about their pitching. Would you pick up Yaz if he was dropped? Yeah, I do. I would. Sorry. 468 yeah. ERA as a team right now, though, for the Giants. Yeah. That's surprising, especially playing half their games in that ballpark and mixing and matching and doing all the different things they do. I think Stripling's going to be better. Um, you know, I think uh, I think Manaya's going to be better. The usage is so weird with Manaya to this point. They don't. I think they don't trust his command, but and it hasn't been great this year. But it's been okay in the past. Um, and then Manaya's stuff number is artificially low right now because he pitched in uh, in Mexico City. So like, it's actually higher. Mexico City is higher up than Denver. Um, so, uh, you know, before that start, he was looking like he had actually really improved. Stripling has, has turfed the uh, splitter that everyone liked because he can't command it. Um, and so I expect, uh, his sort of command ways to, to, to come back. And that's sort of what we saw in the Houston start. Webb is a stud. I think Cobb is underrated. Uh, and then, you know, Discofani and Wood are, are just sort of veteran guys that can then have its good start. So I, I think this will mostly uh, turn itself around. And good news if you are a Giants fan and bad news for the rest of the NL West because that division might get a little bit tighter in the weeks and months ahead. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. On our way out the door, a reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $1 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. is a great piece that Eno and Britt and Will Salmon worked on looking at the possible impact of the pitch clock on pitcher injuries. We're going to talk about that, sure, in detail on the 3-0 show on Thursday, so be sure to check that out over in the Athletic Baseball Show feed. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We're back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening.